my message this morning is taken from Jeremiah chapter 8, and we're going to look at the last verse of the chapter, verse 22 of the 8th chapter of Jeremiah, where we have a series of questions posed by the prophets. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician, doctor there? Why then is there no recovery for the health of the daughter of my people? Jeremiah is one of the great characters of the Old Testament. He is known as the weeping prophet, and his message was primarily a message of God's judgments, uh, not just on the surrounding nations, but on God's own people, uh, especially uh, the people of Judah. And he is prophesying that God is going to judge them by uh, causing the Babylonians to take them into captivity, and Jerusalem is going to be laid waste. And whenever we think uh, of a person uh, preaching God's judgments, we can think of them as being smug and uh, not uh, being uh, affected by the message. Instead, they can come across as harsh. But Jeremiah wasn't like that. He was profoundly affected by this message of God's judgments. Did you notice that in the reading? Verse 18, he's got heart palpitations. My heart is faint in me. And then verse 21, the heart of the daughter of my people, because of it, I am hurt. I am mourning. Here is a broken prophet with a broken message. And instead of rejoicing over the judgment of God coming upon a people who do deserve it, he is grieving. And the reason why we're looking at uh, these verses is this. Jeremiah compares uh, the sin of the people of God to a disease. And that is why God's judgment is coming upon them. It's because of their uh, sin, uh, their waywardness, their rebellion. And he's liking it to a wound, a hurt, uh, verses 11 and 20. One, And it has progressed so far, uh, this disease, that, that the wound is stinking, it's festering, and uh, it is beyond healing. And if a wound is left like that, eventually uh, the infection uh, will kill the patients. And that's uh, the state of the people of God. And uh, he compares, again, he's using symbolic language here, but he compares uh, the nation to a body uh, being ravaged by this deadly disease. And he even uh, compares the people of God to a person, uh, the daughter. Uh, that's how Israel is likened as a daughter, a daughter that was once beautiful but has now uh, got a deadly sickness and it is killing her. Now, we know, don't we, what it's like uh, to have people and a nation 
ravaged with a deadly virus, uh, as we've witnessed uh, these last few months. And it's, it is tragic. Uh, there have been interviews with uh, doctors and nurses, and th they have been in tears uh, because of uh, the uh, emotion of having to treat uh, people that are often uh, going to die as a result uh, of the coronavirus. And Jeremiah is like that with this disease of sin, or oh, that we would be more like the prophets, concerned about this horrible spiritual disease. But there's something even more tragic, if I can say, about the condition of the people uh, that Jeremiah is speaking to and about. And it's this. It's not just that there is this horrible, mortal disease of sin, but there's actually a cure to be had. Uh, that's why we're looking at these verses. And the people, even though there is a cure available, they're not availing themselves of it. And so that's a double whammy. Not only have they been afflicted with this terrible disease, but they are not being cured, even though there is an antidote to be had. Imagine if a vaccine was found uh, for coronavirus, uh, and if that vaccine was widely available, and we did not avail ourselves of the vaccine, wouldn't that be a tragedy beyond uh, the tragedy that we have witnessed so far? Uh, listen to Jeremiah here, verse 21. He's in the middle of this grief for the hurts of the daughter of my people. I am hurt. We are not saved, even though there is a saviour to be had. I am mourning. Astonishment has taken hold of me. And then here is the verse. Is there no balm in Gilead? Yes, there, there is. Uh, Gilead was a region on the other side of the River Jordan, on the east side, and it was renowned uh, for its healing uh, balsams uh, that came from a certain plants. And it was a bit like aloe vera. Uh, if it was applied to a festering wound, it would heal that wound. Is there no balm? Yes, there is. Is there no doctor there? Yes, there are plenty of physicians there who are trained in applying this medicine so that people can be healed. And so this is the rhetorical question. Why then is there no recovery? Why then is there no recovery? Now let's apply this to the spiritual disease of sin. Jeremiah uh, in the Old Testament was looking forward uh, to that cure so he could only see dimly, but he did see. We are looking back at the coming of Jesus Christ and we have even more reason to avail ourselves of the cure and we are even more stupid, uh, if I can say that, if we don't uh, 
take the cure uh, that God has provided. So the first thing I want to do, as I have been doing on the Sunday morning, is open up this picture of sin as a spiritual disease. What do you do when uh, you think you are ill? Well, the first thing I do, very unwisely, is go to Dr. Google and I try to diagnose myself. Now, that is no good. Uh, we make a wrong diagnosis. And that's what the people uh, in Jeremiah's day had done. Uh, they had a completely superficial uh, diagnosis of their condition. Uh, if you look at verse 11, uh, very famous words, uh, there were false prophets uh, and they said, peace, peace. They healed superficially the hurts of the people by saying peace, peace, but there was no peace. It's like a doctor uh, who uh, deals with the symptoms rather than the root cause of the disease. So say you had a headache and you went to the doctor and that doctor uh, took a look at you and then just prescribed painkillers. It would get rid of your symptoms. It would get rid of the headache. And you'd go home thinking, what a wonderful doctor. I'm feeling much better. But what that doctor didn't do was diagnose you properly. Because if that headache is a symptom of a more serious condition, like a brain tumor, uh, then that's a very bad doctor. He may be treating your symptoms. He may be making you feel better for a while. But if he's not treating the root cause of the symptoms, the actual disease, he's not doing his job as a doctor. And that's what so many people uh, are doing. They're not diagnosing their condition. And even the priests and the prophets, the spiritual leaders in Jeremiah's day, they were bad spiritual doctors. And it was the same in Jesus' day. Uh, the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, they just had a superficial understanding of the disease of sin. And they couldn't understand why Jesus associated with the worst sorts of people. They couldn't understand why the Messiah uh, didn't associate with the great and the good. And Jesus, using this picture that Jeremiah is putting before us in chapter 8, develops on it and says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. What's your diagnosis? Do you see yourself as spiritually sick this morning? Or have you, as it were, uh, made a superficial diagnosis, like me turning to Dr. Google? Are you thinking that you're all right, that you belong to the righteous, as the scribes and Pharisees did? Or do you see yourself as a sinner? A sinner. Now let's open up this diagnosis. What is God's diagnosis? What is Jesus's view of our condition when we think of sin as a disease? Well, it's an universal disease. 
everybody, wherever you go in the world, every single person is infected. We haven't witnessed that yet, have we, with COVID-19. But when it comes to sin, what does the Bible say? This is God's diagnosis now. There is none righteous. No, not one. Judah, in the prophet's day, thought she was the bee's knees. No. The scribes and the Pharisees in Jesus' day thought they were all right. They were not perfect. Maybe you're thinking like that of yourself. I'm a chapel goer. I live a moral life. I'm all right. I'm not perfect, but I'm not that bad. The Bible says, yes, you are. There is none righteous. No, not one. And then there's something else about this disease of sin. Uh, another prophet, uh, we call him the evangelical prophet, Isaiah. He described sin as a disease in this way. The whole heart is sick and the whole heart faints. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faints from the sole of the foot, even unto the head. There is no soundness in it. What theologians call total depravity. Every part of us has been infected by sin. Now then, that doesn't mean that we're all as bad as we can be. Uh, the Bible makes distinctions. It says there are some people who are worse than others. The disease has progressed much further. But this is the point. We are all infected in every part of us. An amputation won't do. Uh, you know, there are some uh, good, noble people who think uh, that there are certain parts that are sinful, and then there are certain parts of them that are good, and they're hoping that the good works that they're doing on the last day will outweigh all the sin, so that they can point to their good works and say, look, even though I've done wrong, the good I've done is much more. But no, God says, every part is tainted by sin. Even our righteousnesses, Isaiah says, are as filthy rags. We need to be washed spiritually in every part. Uh, let, let me use this illustration. Sometimes a person has a disease and it defines them. It defines them. So say if you've got a cold uh, or a man flu, <laughs> uh, it doesn't define you. Uh, you may have it for a few days or a week or so, and it might make you feel rotten, but it will soon pass and you'll be back to your normal self again. You're not defined by that. But say you've got... Uh, cancer, and especially if it's a terminal cancer, your whole life now is defined by that disease. And it's a bit like that with the disease of sin. We're defined by it. We're called sinners. I'm coming as a sinner, said a Welsh hymnist. I have no other name. It doesn't matter whether we're a chapel goer or whether we're completely agnostic. When we are diagnosed by Jesus Christ and when we come to him for a cure, we're coming as a sinner. We may come 
as a respectable sinner. We may come as an all-out sinner, but that doesn't matter. We're coming as a sinner. And then this disease is hereditary. It's hereditary. We caught it from our parents. They caught it from their parents. And when you trace it right back, it started in paradise in the Garden of Eden when our first parents, Adam and Eve, who were perfect. But the moment they disobeyed God, sin had come in. And death through sin, it's terminal. Through one man, sin, Adam, sin entered the world, and death through sin, and this death has spread to all men and women, because all sinned. It's terminal. And it's worse than a terminal disease like cancer, because death is not the end. You know, when people are afflicted with uh, horrendous pain because of a sickness, at least death can be a release then from that physical pain. But death in its essence is separation. And we are already spiritually dead. We are dead to God. And what will happen at our physical death is that the body will be no more. That's the end in that sense. But the soul, the spiritual parts, will go on forever into eternity. And if we go into eternity as we are, we're going to be under the judgment of God forever. That's hell. And that's eternal death. Eternal death. That's the worst condition we can be in. When we have people who are diagnosed with the terminal disease, they ask the doctor, how long have I got? How long have I got? And they may be told weeks, months, sometimes a couple of years. How long have you got? How long have I got? We don't know. We don't know. We've heard of young people suddenly being taken by this disease. You don't know when you're going to die. That's sobering. But we all have an appointment to keep. This meeting this morning is going out on YouTube, but I'm in a Zoom meeting with the tech people in our church. So early this morning, I received an invitation to that Zoom meeting. You are invited said the text message to a Zoom meeting. You are invited. Now, sometimes people have had that invitation to a Zoom meeting and they've just completely forgotten about it. That doesn't matter. Obviously, I didn't forget because here I am. But with death, it's not so much we are invited to this meeting. We have an appointment and we won't be able to miss that appointment. And that's a terrible and awesome thing. Man is appointed once to die. And after that, the judgment, are you ready? Are you ready? And then 
this disease is a heart disease. It's got outward symptoms. The things that people do wrong, those are the symptoms. But in its essence, it's a rebellious heart. That's sin. Jeremiah goes on in chapter 17 to say the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. I wish I was like Jeremiah, that I could be weeping because of our calamity, because of this horrible spiritual disease and because of what's ahead of us if we don't get cured. There was a powerful Jeremiah of a preacher in Wales a few hundred years ago in the 18th century in Llangaitho. Um, if you go to Llangaitho today, there are a handful of chapels there and they don't have that many people attending. But in the middle of the 18th century, Llangaitho was packed with people and they were all hearing a preacher, Daniel Rowland, a Jeremiah Indeed. And when Daniel Rowland started preaching, he was just aware of this horrible disease of sin and of being under the judgment of God. He just preached the law, as we call it, God's requirements and how we fall short of that. And people were in tears. They were going mad because they realized that they were sick and that they needed to be put right with God. And an older minister went up to Daniel Rowland and he said, Daniel Bach, you're driving these people to despair. Show them the balm of Gilead as well as their need of it. And this is the good news. There is, there is a cure. There is a cure. Now, that's what I want to go on to tell you uh, about this cure. Oh, that we were more aware of our disease. But, oh, my friend, have you got enough sense of your sin to make you say, yes, I see, I see, I'm the sinner, and that I need Jesus Christ. Let's look at the cure. That's, that's what Jeremiah really is getting at in these verses. Is there no balm in Gilead? He's asking two things. Is there no cure? Yes, there is. Hallelujah. Is there no doctor there? Yes, there is. There is a doctor. Let's look at them in reverse. There is a doctor. Not Dr. Google. Not your own doctor. There is Dr. Jesus. In one sense, it's the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, who has provided the cure. We don't know how long it will take to develop a vaccine for coronavirus, but the cure for sin took an eternity. God the Father designed the cure in eternity. God the Son prepared it 2,000 years ago coming into this world and God the Holy Spirit applies it when we are wrought upon and are saved but for us this morning I want to look at Dr. Jesus he's the cure 
he's the doctor. Uh, now then, I am much helped by J.C. Ryle's commentaries on the Gospels. If you want a helpful commentary on the four Gospels in the New Testament, I know we're not looking at them this morning, but we're looking at Jesus as the doctor, and J.C. Ryle uh, is timeless, and he's worth listening to uh, being read out. And I've got a quote here from J.C. Ryle. He was the Bishop of Liverpool in the 19th century. The Lord Jesus did not come into the world, as some suppose, to be nothing more than a teacher and an example. Had this been all the purpose of his coming, then it would have been small comforts for us. A teacher and an example might be sufficient for an unfallen being like Adam in the Garden of Eden, but fallen sinners like ourselves need healing first. That's good, isn't it? He didn't come so much as an example first, but as a healer. The Lord Jesus came into the world to be a physician as well as a teacher. He saw us all sick of a mortal disease, stricken with a plague of sin and dying. He pitied us and came down to bring divine medicine for our relief. He came to give health and cure to the dying, to heal the brokenhearted and to offer strength to the weak. No sin-sick soul is too far gone for him. It is his glory to heal and restore to life the most desperate of cases for unfailing skill, for unsavoured tenderness, for long experience of man's spiritual ailments. The great physicians of soul stands alone. There is none like him. My friend, there is none like Jesus to heal you of your disease of sin. Let me just go through a few things about Dr. Jesus. When you go to a doctor or when you see a counsellor, you want to know, don't you, how qualified are they? How authoritative are they? Where did they train? And often uh, some of the best doctors will have a long list of letters after their name, just to reassure you. What Jesus Christ's qualifications? Oh, he wasn't qualified from any earthly college. He won't have a diploma from the College of Physicians. He will have a divine diploma. Do you know what it says on his certificate? This is what it says. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings, good news to the meek. He hath sent me to bind the brokenhearted, to heal the spiritually wounded. That is qualification. He is the Christ anointed by God the Father through the Holy Spirit. I came, sent of the Father, not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I am that divine physician. Wonderful. And what else? Well, I want to know, are they successful? What's their track record? What about Jesus Christ? Oh, he's got the best track record. He is incarnate, God incarnate, the God-man, all-powerful. We say that God is omnipotent, which means he's 
all powerful. Jesus, the God man, has all power and authority in his hands. The writer to the Hebrew says, he's able to save to the uttermost, to the end, all, whoever that all may include, all who come to God through him. What's his track record? We saw last Sunday morning, he can save a Rahab, a prostitute. He can save a person like that. What about the worst case scenario in the Old Testament? It hadn't happened yet, but towards the end, you have a king called Manasseh, the most wicked king of Judah. And you know, Manasseh sacrificed his own children uh, to uh, the uh, heathen gods. Who can have mercy upon that? Who can deal with sin that has gone so far? Jesus can, uh, even though he hadn't become a man yet. God the Son is shining here in the pages of the Old Testament. And a Manasseh is saved. If a Manasseh can be healed, there is hope for you. There is hope for me. And when we come to the New Testament, there are examples after examples. Mary Magdalene, uh, she had devils cast out of her. What about the man that Jesus chose to be the apostle to the Gentiles? Saul of Tarsus, the worst case scenario, a persecutor of the church, and he transformed him into the most powerful preacher of the gospel. Paul had to say, it's a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. Hallelujah. What a saviour. And another thing I want to know is, have they got empathy? You know, you've got some very qualified doctors, but their bedside manners are atrocious. They just can't deal with people. But how different is Dr. Jesus? He is tender. He is kind. He is compassionate. Will he treat me if I go to him? You don't know, Pastor, about my sin. You don't know how unique my condition is. You don't know how far I've stayed away from Jesus. But he knows, and it won't cause him to reject you. Indeed, he specializes in those who've given up on themselves. He won't give up on you. He's got the best bedside manners in the world. He can be touched by the feeling of our infirmities. This is how one hymn writer put it. Come, ye sinners, poor and wretched, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, joined with power. What a combination. Pity joined with power. He is able. But that's not enough. He's also willing. Come and doubt no more. Dr. Jesus, yes, there is a physician. But also, yes, there is a cure. There is a balm. Uh, in Jeremiah's day, 
uh, in Gilead, the barn, the cure, and the doctors who applied the cure were two different things. You guessed it. In Jesus Christ, the doctor and the cure is the same. Um, Spurgeon put it beautifully. His medicine is himself. His medicine is himself. According to Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of the best hymns penned, Wesley, Jesus, my all in all, thou art, my rest in toil, my ease in pain, the medicine of my broken heart, the medicine of my broken heart. What is the balm of Gilead? What is the cure that is Jesus Christ? We're given a hint in the Old Testament. Isaiah, again, no wonder he's called the evangelical prophets in his famous chapter, chapter 53. Listen, this is a doctor unlike any other. As Jesus, Jesus Christ said, I came not to call the righteous but sinners. As J.C. Ryle said, there is none like him. This is how Isaiah put it, surely he hath borne our griefs, that can be translated sicknesses, our spiritual diseases, and carried our sorrows, but he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, and by his stripes, another word for wounds, we are healed. Well, what is it? This is the wonderful cure. Jesus Christ becomes a substitute, so he takes upon himself the sickness of your sin and mine. He takes the wound. He takes the judgment of God, which Jeremiah is so full of, which we deserve. And he drinks the cup of God's wrath himself. That's what happened when he died on the cross. He started that in the Garden of Gethsemane and he even prayed with sweats of blood pouring down his face. Father, if it be possible, let this cup be removed from me, yet not my will, but thy will be done. And praise be to God, he went to Calvary, and on that cross he became sin for you and for me, so that we could be delivered from the judgment of God, so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be healed. That's the cure. Let me use this illustration. If you go to the doctor and you're feeling unwell, the doctor may ask you to give a blood test. So what the doctor will do is uh, prick your finger and just take a little uh, bit of blood just to test that blood uh, to see uh, whether you are suffering from a specific illness. When we go to Dr. Jesus, he doesn't take our blood. He gives his blood. Uh, from the messages these Sunday mornings, you will have probably noticed the crux of the gospel is the blood of Jesus Christ. It wasn't a prick uh, of blood that he gave when he died on the cross. The blood came gushing out. And that's the key. It's the blood which shows that sacrifice has been made what we call atoning sacrifice, a sacrifice to reconcile us to a holy God. Sin needs to be atoned for. 
Sin needs uh, to be uh, paid for. The punishment needs to be meted out either on us or on someone else. If Jesus Christ hasn't taken the punishment for your sin, it's still on you ahead. And if you die in that condition, you will go to hell, but you can go to heaven, not because you or, or I are good enough, but because Jesus is and because he's taken the punishment instead of you. The blood, the blood. So uh, if you're ill and if you need a blood transfusion, they need to know what kind of blood have you got? Is it type A, type B, etc.? What's the type of blood that was shed on the cross? It's not type A, it's not type B. It's divine blood. That's why it heals. It's the blood of the pure son of God who died as an atoning sacrifice. And there is power in that blood. Wonder, working, cleansing, sin purifying power in the precious blood. A balm for the sin sick soul. What's the balm? It's nothing less than the blood of Jesus Christ. Let me finish. There's one thing I need to say. You're still not going to be healed of sin. To know that you're a sinner, to know that there is a cure, even if you know much about it, won't do any good to you unless you take it. Like me in the children's talk, taking this balm, applying it to the wound. How do I take Jesus Christ? The, the, the Bible talks about believing in Jesus Christ. Now, there is so many different pictures of believing, and one picture of believing is to go to Jesus Christ. When you go to Jesus Christ, you're aware of your condition. You're aware you're a sinner, and you hate that sin. You turn from it. And you go to him. You go to him as a sinner in your poverty, in your wretchedness, in your sickness. That's why you're going to the doctor, because you're sick. Let, let me use this illustration. When you go to the doctor and he diagnoses your condition, he gives you a prescription. So Jesus, this prescription is this, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. And then you go to the pharmacist with the prescription to actually get the cure. And here, the doctor and the cure and the pharmacist is the same person. So all I'm saying is you go to Jesus. It doesn't matter how much you know. To know that you're a sinner, to know that he came to save sinners is enough. And so you take your prescription to him and he gives you the cure but even that is not enough you've got to take the medicine and i think that is faith in its essence you take him i take the pardon of my god pardon for sin of deepest dye a pardon wrought through jesus blood hallelujah what a savior you take him you take him and if you're taking medicine on prescription you usually have to take it every day don't you and when we first believe in jesus christ that's not it that's not the end we've started a new life now a life of faith and every day we go to him and take him we're not converted to new every day 
But every day we look to Jesus. Have you gone to Jesus Christ? If you're aware that you're a sinner, good, that's good. But don't stop there. You're aware that there's a cure. Excellence. But don't stop at mere head knowledge. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. You know, this is such good news. Uh, there's a Welsh hymn, and I've translated, or somebody's translated that, who will give me a balm of Gilead, forgiveness with its peace, then fear of death would vanish, my soul would be at ease. And who can soothe the anguish of guilt and evil will? I know of none but Jesus, once nailed upon the hill. There is none like him. And once we've experienced his healing and forgiveness, we won't keep it to ourselves. Imagine if somebody discovers a cure, a vaccine, for coronavirus, they, they, they wouldn't keep quiet, would they? they? They would tell everybody, and this is what the church is all about. I don't understand the church losing its raison d'etre. This is what we're about. We have a cure in Jesus Christ for this disease of sin, and it's free, and it's effective, and it's for you. Oh, my friends, there is an African-American spiritual song, maybe because of the state of the church, a bit like Jeremiah's day. Did you feel powerless? Did you feel uh, that you need reviving? I know of no better, no better place to go to than Jesus Christ and him crucified. And this is what this Afro-American spiritual song says. There is a balm in Gilead to make the wounded whole. There is a balm in Gilead to heal the sin-sick soul. Sometimes I feel discouraged. It's good to admit that. Sometimes I feel discouraged and think my work's in vain. But then the Holy Spirit revives my soul again. And the Spirit revives us by showing us Jesus Christ as an all-sufficient Savior. There is none like him. Taste and see that the Lord is gracious for his name's sake. Amen. Now we're going to sing. I will ask him. I've already uh, quoted from it. Come ye sinners, poor and wretched, uh, a great hymn. Uh, let us sing it from our hearts.
Father, we thank thee that it is none but Jesus can do helpless sinners good and that there is no, none like him. And we just uh, ask thee, O oh God, to work in us by the Spirit so that we apply ourselves to him. And having done that, may we live for him. Uh, now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forever. Amen.